Wendy. Wow, welcome to the second of our series, the Fixer Upper series. And for those who might be joining us today for the first time, we're taking a look this summer at some of the transformation stories that we find in Scripture, where, where God took a, a fixer upper, like every single one of us, and transformed us and did something special uh, with us. And, and so this week, if, if you'll turn with me to uh, chapter, uh, the 16th chapter of Acts, we're going to look at the story of the Philippian jailer. I love this story. I, I love it even more after studying for it this week. And, and there are things in there that I, ne- I had never noticed and some, some fantastic things. But in order to understand this, the conversion of the Philippian jailer, we have to understand a little bit of the context. So in the context, we have the Apostle Paul and Silas and a small group with them, including Luke, the writer of the book of Acts. They are on a missionary journey together. And if you look at Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 24, I'm going to run through that just to, uh, to see the, the context of what was going on here. This is what we read. <clears throat> now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her master saw that Their hope of profit was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, um, or excuse me, uh, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive and observe. Then the multitudes rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet into the stocks. Wow, what an amazing uh, setup for this transformation story of of the jailer. Here we have, I mean, really, we could have an entire sermon on the transformation of this young slave girl, right? Here she was a demon-possessed slave girl. And she's able, because of this demonic power, she's able to, to talk about the future and understand some things about the future. And, and so her owners were making a lot of money off of her. Paul commands the demon to leave her. The demon leaves her. And instead of being grateful, what happens to the owners of this slave girl? They're upset because they've lost their shot at money. It's all about money for them. And, and so they get upset. The, they get the magistrates involved. And they send Paul and Silas into prison. I would love to spend an entire uh, sermon on that portion of the, of the text. But right now I just want to understand it as it sets us up for, for understanding the jailer. And here, just like any, uh, any transformation story, we're going to see the before, we're going to see the transformation, and we're going to see the after. But even in this little passage, before we hop into the transformation of it, we see some interesting things about this jailer, some things that we know about him. So the first thing that we notice when we look at this, and we're going to look at the before picture compared to the after picture, the before picture is that first, he was a man-fearer. Now let me explain what I mean by that. And, um, 
and, and why I say that. First, the fear of man, as the Bible calls it, can go by many names uh, that we use today. But it's the idea that we are more concerned about what men think of us or what men can do to us than we are about God. In our society, you can hear terms like peer pressure, people pleasing, or if a person is self-conscious, or codependency, or, or uh, uh, words like idolizing people, or social pressure, all those kinds of words are actually forms of the fear of man. When you think about it, what is peer pressure? Well, you have pressure from your peers, and you, you feel like you should do something, you're compelled to do something that you don't want to do. Why? Because you're afraid of what other people think about that. That's peer pressure, that's fear of man. Uh, or so when you're self-conscious all the time, what are you worried about? You're worried about what people think of you. It's, uh, all of this really is, uh, those are just different words, but it all comes down to man-fearing. Now, why would I say that he's a man-fearing? Uh, uh, because the bottom line is, for the jailer, he did what he was told out of fear of some type of human authority. In this case, it's Rome, right? You have the, the Roman authority, you have the Roman magistrates, uh, and, and they're men fearing too. In fact, the magistrates were doing something that was illegal because they were afraid of the multitude. The multitude was coming together and they were working together as one. And so they're working out of, of fear of man and he's doing exactly what he was told. Roman magistrates, they were called lictors at the time, uh, they feared the multitude so they bypassed the entire legal process and without a trial proceeded to allow Paul and Silas to be beaten and imprisoned. And what does the jailer do? He simply follows orders. He does what he's told to do. Right or wrong, he follows the orders. That's what we see from him at the beginning of the story. Now, a couple of observations. If we go back to verse 24, a couple of things that it says about this. It says uh, that uh, having received such a charge, he put them into the, the inner prison. So it starts by he puts them into the inner prison. This would be like what we call the maximum security, right? This is the inner part of the, the prison. This is the, the maximum security. For people who haven't even been tried, maximum security. For releasing a demon from a demon-possessed girl. And they put them into the maximum security. The, the reason that you do this is that there are no windows. There, you're not on the outside. You're in the inner room. So you don't have windows. You don't have access to the outside. It's harder to escape. But it's also harder for other people to hear what's going on. So whenever there was going to be torture going on, they would bring them into the middle of the prison. And so in the inner prison is where they put them. And all, not only that, it says that he fastened their feet in the stocks. In a prison, by nature of the word, it limits a person's freedom, right? Well, when you're put into stocks, it, it limits your freedom even more. It even limits your ability to stand and to walk around. And, and there they are in beaten up with their feet in stocks. This is not a pleasant place for, for them. You know, this tells us something else about the before picture of what the jailer was like. He was not only a man fear, but he was callous. Why? How do we know this? Think about this. His job, his occupation, was to torture people. Think about that. That was his job. His job was to do that. He, he's he's doing, doing it here. He's putting their feet in the stocks. He's limiting their freedom. And, uh, and it didn't bother him at all. He's just doing what he's told. He's a callous person. Uh, this, this is what he was... He was used to this. In fact, day in and day out, I'm sure he would hear people screaming. 
uh, people begging for their freedom, people uh, just wallowing in self-pity. That would be the typical response. That's what he's hearing day in and day out. And and in order to maintain that job, you have to become callous to all of that, right? And you hear it all the time, and and you just overlook it, and here he's he's callous to all of this. And, uh, and, And he had to do it. It was a job. And by the way, it was an honorable job in the Roman society. You know, this, was, this, was, this was a high up position to be able to, uh, to have this position. That's an honorable thing in the Roman world. But then something happened in the story that I don't think this jailer was ready for. Something happens in the, in the story. Let's look at verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, how strange this must have been. Think about this from his perspective for a moment. What is he used to hearing? Screams, and he's used to hearing people wallowing in in self-pity. And here you have Paul and Silas, who have just been beaten for a crime that they're not guilty of doing. It's actually not even a crime. They're in prison. And what are they doing? They're singing. They're praising God. They're praying to God. And, 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 and so much so that all of the, the prisoners are like, this is, not, this is not normal. So they, got the, they start listening in. And they're, they're listening to what's going on. And something completely different than what they were normally used to was going on. And the Philippian jailer saw some things that he had never seen before in his entire life. And this began a divine transformation. Now, if you're taking notes, keep, we're going to come back to the before thing. We'll, we have a little bit more to say of what he was like before. But, but look at the divine transformation that takes place. And the question that we're asking here is, is, what did this jailer see that he had never seen before that transformed his heart? I'd say that the first thing that we, we see is he saw true joy. I mean, true joy. See, Paul and Silas had been beaten, but their joy was not based on their circumstances. Somehow, in spite of their circumstances, they were still able to have joy, right? And yet, for the, for the majority of people in the world, and I'm sure this jailer is no, uh, is, is no exception to this, his joy was based on his circumstances, right? Many of you know that I like to go on uh, canoe trips, and, and uh, this is a, a picture from... Uh, from Algonquin Provincial Park where we take a lot of our canoe trips. Many of you have gone on some of those trips with me. And, and on one of my earliest trips, I was with my brother and uh, they made the mistake of putting the two of us in the same canoe. And, uh, and so we were just flying. We were just flying across. Like I remember one day, it was a nice warm day, and we looked and the other canoes were way back there and we saw some rocks uh, you know, overlooking the lake. And so we pulled over and, and put our our canoe on, on shore, and we climbed up those rocks and spent some time jumping into the water, and it was just a great time. And about the time the others caught up, we hopped into our canoe and continued on our way. However, in Algonquin Provincial Park at this time of year, you never know what the weather is going to do. And so a little bit later, the, the wind came in, and it was a chilly wind. It got cold. And uh, we, we, were, we were starting to get cold. We had to put our rain jackets on. Next thing you know, it started raining. Turned to freezing rain. And by the time we pulled into where we were going to camp for the night, it was snowing. Believe that or not. Snowing. And then uh, we didn't take a lot of food back in those days. We were all concerned about how far we'd go and how much we could carry and so on. And so we used to get like two little scoops of mac and cheese. That was our dinner. Two scoops per person. 
mac and cheese. And, uh, and we were miserable, so as fast as we could get some, uh, get our tents put up, we went in there and we were cold, wet, tired, hungry. And if I could put it in one word, I would just say miserable. And then Tom says, oh, we still have to do our devotions. Okay, what are we doing? Philippians. Paul, in prison, writing from prison. He was cold, wet, tired, and hungry. And you know what he's writing about? Joy. Boy, I mean, we just have to, how could Paul have been joy? Because he's feeling a lot like we felt in that moment. Cold, wet, tired, hungry. But the difference is he's been beaten. We hadn't been beaten. And we were looking forward to another day of freedom. Paul wasn't looking forward to another day of freedom. He didn't know how long he'd be in prison. And he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. How many of you know that verse? He wrote it from prison. Think about that. And, and, and here, the jailer sees true joy for the first time in his life. And, and it begins a transformation in his heart. I'll tell you what, that was a transformation in my heart too. Because that night... As we started thinking about that, we went to bed cold, wet, tired, and hungry, and happy because of our relationship with God. And that day began something different in my life where I, we began to understand that our joy does not have to be based on our circumstances. And I'll tell you what, no matter what circumstance I've been in since, if I start to feel like, oh, I'm just miserable, you know what I do? I think of that day in Algonquin. And I think of how happy we could be when we were cold, wet, tired, and hungry. And I, this is not a very good sales pitch for those who want to go on an Algonquin trip. I apologize. It's usually a lot nicer than that, right? But, it, but what a great lesson. And that changed the way I live my life in a lot of ways. You know, now imagine this for the jailer who's surrounded by pain and torture all day long. And he sees true joy. He sees them singing and praying to their God. I don't think he was ready for that. And I'm sure he wasn't ready for what happened next. Let's continue to read in the next verse, verse 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. Wow. This brings us to the second part of the transformation. The second thing that he saw, he not only saw true joy, but he saw the power and the sovereignty of God. Now think about it for a moment. The power of the earthquake was strong enough to shake the foundation, it was strong enough to break all the prison doors open, it was strong enough to break everybody's chains, and yet not a single person's hurt, zero injuries. I mean, you can expect an earthquake to, to be powerful, but when that, that power is directed in such a specific way, I, there, was, there was no way he was going to think this was a coincidence, right? He sees the power and the sovereignty of God, and, um, and, and so he knows something is up. That's just too much to be coincidence. So look how he responds, verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Now, I said earlier that, that he was a man fear, that this jailer was a man fear. He was worried about other people. We see it more clearly, actually, in this verse right here. Um, we see that the jailer's man-fearing is so clear because he assumes that the prisoners are going to be so, so focused on their self-preservation that they would be long gone by now. He was knocked out. By the time he wakes up, he sees the doors open. He knows they're gone. And, and this sent him into a suicidal depression. 
an immediate suicidal depression. So talk about man-fearing. What's he thinking? I am going to be the jailer who lost the prisoners? Right? This is an honorable position. And, I, and now I'm going to be dishonored? That's man-fearing. He was worried about that. Or he could possibly even be tortured for, uh, for that dishonor. Self-preservation. It's all about man-fearing. So from his perspective, with his worldview, what was left to live for? Nothing. Nothing. There was nothing left to live for. Under his worldview, he had no honor. He could lose his freedom. He could be tortured. But remember, he just saw two men who had been tortured who had been wrongfully tortured and had lost their freedom, but they were happy, singing praises to their God. Look at verse 28 and 29, what we read when we see this. We, we, well, before I even get to that, I do want to say, that brings us to the, the third image that we see of him beforehand. Not only was he a man fear, not only was he a callous person, but he was suicidal. He was, he was depressed because that's where his lifestyle had taken him. Look at verse 28 and 29. This is where things change drastically in the story. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul. What did the jailer see that caused this divine transformation? He saw true joy. He saw the, the power of God. But then he also saw true freedom. And what do I mean by that? When I, when, I, when I say true freedom, you see, to him, freedom was something that could be taken away by other men, right? Freedom is something that, that other people could take away and they could limit his ability. And, and he was fearful of that. But Paul and Silas had a freedom that no chains could take away. Think about that for just a moment. To, to Paul and Silas, they were always free. What do you mean they were always free? They went to jail, but they were free. That's why they were happy. That's why they could sing, because they believed in the sovereignty of God. So if that means they're, going, they're in prison, well, all that means is God says prison ministry is next on the agenda. Right? Because they're free. You know, they're free to live, live out in whatever way God has for them. And no matter how bad the situation got, oh, this is what God planned for us. Why? Because they believed in the sovereignty of God. They believed that God was in total control and he was only going to allow things into their life that were part of his plan. And so why would Paul and Silas leave? They weren't done witnessing yet. And guess what? The prisoners were listening. In fact, the, probably the most amazing part of the story isn't that Paul and Silas didn't leave. The most amazing part of the story is that the other prisoners didn't leave. They're like, no, 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 we're not done listening to Paul and Silas yet. I mean, wait, there's an opening. They could walk right out, and the, 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 the jailer is asleep, and they say, no, we want to stay here with Paul and Silas because we want to hear what they have to say because they saw something that they had never seen in their lives before. Isn't that amazing? They think about that. They saw, they saw something incredibly different than that they'd ever seen before. This reminds me, of, of a story that George Evans, he was a, a Russian pastor, uh, George Evans shared with, with us at, our, at my home church back when I was on the other side of the state. And George Evans was telling this story about how he and, uh, and the other pastors in their conference, the Baptist conference, and the, they were being persecuted for their faith. And it was just a bad persecution. But they had a, a, a burden for this town in Siberia, and they were working together. They even sent mission teams to this town in Siberia. 
with attempts to, to start a work there. But this town in Siberia was based on the prison industry. In fact, when you hear of people being sent to Siberia, what do you think of? Someone being sent there for prison, right? So this entire town was built on the prison industry. And, and so they had sent mission teams there, and they, the people would just spit on them. There was a, they were closed to the gospel. As you can imagine, in a town like that, there's not a lot of entertainment. So pornography came into the town. Pornography became rampant. You know what happens when pornography becomes rampant in the community? Then prostitution becomes rampant in the community. You know what happens when prostitution becomes rampant in the community? Then violence becomes rampant in the community. And so when they came there with the gospel, these people were so focused on self-indulgence of their sins that, that when they heard the gospel, they would just spit on them. They, they, had, they wanted nothing to do with it. And they tried for a couple of years to reach this town with no success whatsoever. And then the persecution back home where they were in, in, in the, their hometown in, in Russia, I forgot what city they were in, but um, it became so bad that the government came in and in one night rounded up every pastor from every church in their entire, their entire conference. And they hauled them off to prison. Guess where? Siberia. They take them to Siberia. So now they're in prison in Siberia and they're singing and they're praying and they're praising the Lord from their cells. Why? They believe in the sovereignty of God. In fact, it made such an impact on the, on the, the, uh, the, the jailers there that what they decided to do was they said, we're going to give you a weekend pass, which usually means we don't agree with the government, you shouldn't be here, go. So they took their weekend pass and then they did something that was unthinkable to the jailers and they showed up the next Monday. We're, we're, we're here. Why are you here? Well, because we're supposed to be here. Well, you know what they did during the weekends? They went into the town and started witnessing the people. And those people are like, wait, wait a minute, you're in jail? And they're giving you a weekend pass? They get out of here. Well, no, we're, we can't. We're right where God wants us to be. Right here to give you the gospel. Wow, what an impact. They show up. For, for, for prison duties, every, and they started giving them weekend passes every weekend. They went out, and guess what? Churches started forming. And a revival took over the town. See, when you believe in the sovereignty of God, it makes a difference. And, and I'll tell you what, there's a point to be made here, and that is that, that real transformation is contagious. Is it not? When people see, you know, I, I rarely hear anyone tell me, well, I became a Christian because I worked through the, all, all the logical arguments and, and I just concluded that. That's the one that makes the most, I rarely hear that. It does happen. Like my testimony is kind of like that. But no, most of the times I hear a testimony, it's because I saw the transformation that took, took place in someone else's life and I thought, that's what I need. Isn't it true? How many of you could say, my testimony is because of, of seeing Christ in someone else as opposed to just coming to the conclusion myself. How many of you would say that? Hands up all over the place, right? And this is what we see taking place right here. Real transformation is contagious. The fourth and last thing that I want to bring up that he saw that he had never seen before was that he saw true compassion. See, Paul Paul and Silas had they been concerned about self-preservation, like the jailer would have been, they would have scrammed. They would, they would have left. But instead, they waited for him to wake up. When he woke up, they said, don't harm yourself. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. We haven't left. 
I mean, what compassion to say we're willing to give up our freedom, which was illegally taken from us. They were Roman citizens, and they are not allowed to go to prison without a trial. And we read about that in the following passage. But they, they, they were more concerned about this jailer who had been persecuting them. That they said, we don't want you to get into trouble with your authorities. So we stayed. We stuck around for you. That's compassion. That is compassion that I'm sure he was not used to. And he surely was not used to handing out that kind of compassion to other people. Right? Let that sink in. The same man who was beating them hours earlier. Put shackles on their feet hours earlier. He took away their freedom. And they waited for him so that he wouldn't get into trouble. I think that's not going to have an impact on someone's life. It sure does. Well, let's look at the after, right? Let's, how does this change the, the, the life of this jailer? Let's look at verses 30 through 32. We read this. And he, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He says, Guys, I see something different in you. I want what you have. What must I do to be saved? I'm not saved here. What must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and all your household. Uh, by the way, that is not saying that if one person gets saved, his entire house gets saved. What he's saying is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And this is not only true for you, this is also true for your household. So if they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they too will be saved. And so even as they're witnessing to this jailer, their concern is for taking that gospel beyond into his whole family and, and, and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What a simple message the gospel is, isn't it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, 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 uh, and you shall be saved. He goes on to say, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So in a nutshell, what, what Paul and Silas are telling them, the bottom line, they're saying, you have to change who you fear right now. You have to change what you lean on. That to this point, you fear Rome. You fear the magistrates. You fear the lictors. You fear the multitudes. You're fearing the wrong people. Instead, you need to believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. Nobody else. And, uh, and you're worried. I mean, he was in that state where he's ready to commit suicide. You're worried about honor. You're worried about what people will think of you. You're worried about what people will do to you. You've got to quit worrying about all that. Just believe in Jesus Christ. That's a transformation. Just believe in Jesus Christ. So when we look at this, we see the, the, the character traits of him before, and we see the opposite after. Instead of being a man fear, he decided to fear Jesus Christ. He decided to believe in Jesus Christ. So the jailer accepted that, and everything changed. Look at verse 33. I love this verse. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And he immediately, and immediately he and his family were baptized. He, he took them at that moment. Something changed in his eyes because remember, what was his job? Remember, he was a torturer. He was a callous man. It, he, would, he would see people being injured all the time and he couldn't let that affect him. For the first time after this, after believing in Jesus Christ, something happened to his eyes and he looks down and he sees Paul and Silas and recognizes them as human beings who have been beaten. And they've got sores. And what does he do? He washes them. He takes care of them. He becomes a caregiver for their sores. Is that a miraculous transformation or what? And instead of being this callous person, he becomes this compassionate person. What does a compassionate person look like? It means you see the needs of someone else and you want to help. 
as simple as it is. You see the needs of someone else and you want to help. And he went from being a callous, which is the exact opposite of that, and became a compassionate person. A torturer by trade is dressing their wounds. If God doesn't have a sense of humor, then, you, then you're not reading the same Bible that I am. Amen? And you see a pattern here? I mean, I see a, I'm beginning to see a, this pattern. One is that divine transform, transformation always takes our natural fear of man and redirects it towards a fear of God. We also see that the divine transformation always takes our natural sense of self-preservation and redirects it towards a healthy care and concern and compassion for other people. We see that in this story very clearly. Now the last thing you'll notice, we saw that he was suicidal. He was in a a deep depression. His man-fearing and his self-preservation led him to a deep discontent for his life, already to the point that he was ready to take his life, take his own life, and then we read verse 34 at the end of the, of the narrative here. We read this. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. He and his family had accepted Christ. They're taking care of the very men that they were, they were told to, to abuse. He's feeding them now. And... And here we see this suicidal person now, and he finds something completely different. He finds true joy. He finds true joy. Here's a man. This is a story of a man who was surrounded daily by people who were being tortured. They were miserable. And he finds true joy. And he accepts it for himself. This is total transformation. You know, in the verses that follow, the magistrates, uh, we don't have time to read all this, but the magistrates find out that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, and, and, uh, and they realize they're in trouble, and so they beg them to leave. And they said, just, just leave, and let's just let, let bygones be bygones, right? And because they were afraid for their lives, because uh, they had broken the law. And that's when Paul and Silas say, okay, let's go. Why? Because their job was done. They were there because God was taking them there to lead people to him, and they were more than glad to do that. And they felt free to leave. You know, this is true Christianity. When I look at this story and I think of how do we apply this, there's so much. I'd say, how do we let God renovate us as we're fixer-uppers? I'd say, number one, there are, four, there are four things I want to share with you. Number one, if you haven't already, believe in Jesus Christ. You know, the transformation starts there. And you'll notice that's something, this will probably be the, the, uh, the number one application the entire summer long because every transformation begins by surrendering ourselves to Jesus Christ. Amen? You think about it, Jesus is the ultimate, the ultimate uh, sacrifice for us. He was the ultimate one who said, I don't care about self-preservation, I'm going to die on the cross because he loved us and to pay for our sins. So Christianity follows Christ. You can't be transformed into Christianity unless you come through Christ. Amen? And so I would say if there's anyone here today that you would say, you know what, Pastor Dave, I have never had that moment in my life where I have accepted Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, then right now is that time. There is no better time in the present to make that decision right now. Amen? And in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward. And if that's you, I would love to, to, to show you someone who could take you through God's word and show you beyond a shadow of doubt that you know for sure that you are saved and you're going to spend eternity in heaven.
Now, for those who have already taken that first step and you're already there, there are three other things I think that we can glean from this. Number two, exchange your fear of man for fear of God. Exchange your fear of man for fear of God. We get so wrapped up in what other people think, and it keeps us from doing the things that we're supposed to do because we're worried about what other people are going to think. You know what? Forget what other people think. Only worry about hearing those words someday from God himself. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Nothing else should matter. No other opinion should, should keep you from doing what you know is right. Number three, exchange self-preservation for compassion. Instead of, because of what Christ has done for us, because of the transformation he's done in us, that should change the way we live our lives. And when we start seeing people, instead of being calloused to seeing other people's needs, it should drive our hearts to want to do something to affect change. And I'm tired of hearing of, 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 of Christians who hear all of the stuff in, that's going on and, we, and, and our hearts aren't broken anymore. You know, we, we, re, we watch these, these prayer casts and we see in some of them countries where people are in great need. It doesn't, if it doesn't break your heart, something's not right. Does that make sense? If, if, if you can see people around you in, the, in their need and it doesn't break your heart, you say, but some of these people deserve the hurt they're in. Uh, so did the jailer. And yet we see compassion of Paul and Silas towards them. That's what we need to be. And I'll tell you what, that kind of compassion, that kind of transformation is contagious. You want to, you want to, see, you know, you want to see our country have a revival? Anyone, anyone like me want to see our country have a revival? You know what it's going to take? It's going to take Christians acting like Christ. That's what it's going to take because that's contagious. I don't care. You could, you could take that, that gospel to the coldest, most callous place in Siberia and a revival is going to happen. When we say, no more self-preservation. It's not about me. I'm going to invest my life in other people. I'm going to be compassionate towards other people. And not because it's just the right thing to do, but because this is what Christ calls me to do. And because this is how I can become more like Christ. And when I suffer for it, then all I can do is say, I'm suffering like Jesus to, to a smaller degree, but I, I fellow, have that fellowship of suffering with Jesus. Amen? Amen? And then lastly, experience the joy of the Lord. Because actually, if you stop with just three, I, the, I say... I say I'm asking you to, to take away all your self-preservation and just focus on other people. And, but you know what? That will not. You'd think that would lead you to misery. But what it actually leads you to is true joy. The type of joy that no prison, no chains, no persecution, not even torture can take that kind of joy away from you. Who wants that? That's what God is offering us today through his text. It's a total transformation where we have a joy even in the midst of our sufferings. That's what God's calling us to do. What it requires is faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith to say, that's my model. That's what I'm striving for because he died on the cross to pay for my sins. I'm going to do what I can to, to represent Christ to the people around me. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in just a few moments, we'll have an opportunity for people to respond to what you've taught us in your text today. I pray right now that you work in people's hearts. Lord, if there's anyone that's in here right now that does not know you personally, they've never accepted your son to be their Lord and Savior, I pray right now that 
that when we have when we have the invitation, they would come forward. Lord, it's possible there are some people in here that need to come forward for one reason or another, but they're afraid to because of what other people might think. Lord, that's the fear of man. I pray, Lord, that you would take away that fear of man right now. I pray, Lord, that if you're working in the hearts of anyone here, in any way, that they could be experiencing the true joy of, of the relationship with you, that they could be getting rid of their self-preservation, fearing you instead of men. I pray, Lord, that if you're working in their hearts, that you would stir up hearts right now so that they would come forward and get it right with you. I pray this in Christ's name.